By the time we share, I want to lift the thought, a left-handed blessing. A left-handed blessing. Anyone who reads the Bible on just a cursory level comes to understand that images in word pictures are very important. That throughout biblical writings, that the position that one takes is sometimes notified or classified by which hand the person has strength in or which hand a person sits. That from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, there are images about what happens to people based upon which side of the human body they fall upon. That we, we've come to understand in a very clear way, in a very convicting way, that the position of honor, the position of power, in the position of superior recognition is reserved for those who are either right-handed or they are placed at the right hand of the king. In a very real way, that when it came time to pass out blessings, as one father would pronounce the blessing upon the oldest child, the father would take the right hand and pronounce the blessing. That it's only in one instance in the book of Genesis as a father is to give a blessing to the oldest, but instead of giving it to the oldest, he gives it to the youngest, and he crosses his hands so that the youngest receives the right-hand blessing, and, and the oldest receives the left-hand blessing. And we understand that not only in the transfer of blessings, but we understand even in the midst of God through Jesus Christ giving his great declaration about what will happen in the judgment, Jesus says that everyone who stands before his throne in the moment of judgment will fall into either one or two categories. They will fall into the ones who will be moved to the right or they will be in the group that is moved to the left who will depart from him. And even when it comes to Jesus, in that moment in the book of Acts where Stephen was being stoned and Paul looked up into heaven, and he saw God on the throne, but he saw Jesus standing up on the right-hand side. And we even say that, that Jesus is at the right hand making intercession for the saints. So the right hand has biblical significance, but what Judges chapter 3 teaches us, is that there are moments in which God is preparing to move that he won't move the way you think he'll move. 
that in many times we try to limit God's power and God's authority based on our past experiences. But if you be true with yourself like I have to be true with myself, there have been sometimes, there have been sometimes I wanted a right-hand blessing, but instead God gave me a left-hand blessing. He, he, he gave me those blessings that I didn't even see coming my way. So I've come to thank God not only for what you give me from your right hand, but if it's coming from you, I'll even take it from your left hand. <laughs> that it may not come the way that I have expected it, but high never you move. I'll be satisfied. And God teaches us this through the life and the teachings of the judges that come to us through the book of Judges. That the Bible in its current order moves from the children of Israel coming out of Egyptian bondage. They have to change leaders in the book of Joshua. Joshua leads the children of Israel to great conquest and even to the point of conquering the promised land of Canaan. And in the midst of God keeping his promise, the book of Judges teaches you and I that no matter how good God has been to us, sometimes we get spiritual amnesia with the blessings from God. This book of Judges reveals to us that God can be as good as good can be. And many times you and I will fall prey to the deceptive power of our surroundings. So it is through the book of Judges, which is better translated in its original language, not the book of Judges, but the book of deliverers. Of people who God would raise up to not only save his people from their enemies, but ultimately save his people from themselves. Because sometimes it's not exterior or external factors that get us in trouble. Sometimes it's internal factors of me wanting to do what I want to do because I can do it. And I double dog somebody to tell me that I can't do it. But the Bible tells us that the Lord raises up deliverers. And, and you and I, we have, we have gotten so accustomed at least in my Christian walk, that in the book of Judges, if you don't know anybody else, you know Samson. Right? And sometimes we fall prey and think Samson was the only judge who was raised up by God. But God raised up some, some if you will, some hidden figures. He, he raised up a, a Barak who was a deliverer. And not only did he raise up a Barak, but he raised up that soul sister by the name of Deborah to give leadership to his people even in the midst of their wayward ways. But there's, there's, there's one man 
who never really gets the attention that he deserves. And he's become a hidden figure in the Bible text. And that is a brother by the name of Ehud. That we really don't know much about him. He only comes on the scene in Judges chapter 3. And in coming on the, chapter, on, on the scene, he's only mentioned probably one or two other times in the biblical record. But there's, there's some lessons that we learn from, from Ehud in Judges chapter 3 as it relates to left-hand blessings. That Judges chapter 3 opens up in verse number 1, and I pray that you keep your Bible open so you don't think I'm making any of this stuff up. The Bible shows us in Judges chapter 3, beginning with verse number 1, that contrary to popular belief, that many of us have been taught that when Joshua and his jump-out boys came through in the book of Joshua, Deacon uh, Griswold knows what a jump-out boy is. Amen. <laughs> Amen. When the jump-out boys came, that, that Joshua and his crew cleared out everybody. But Judges chapter 3, verse number 1, teaches us that that is not the case. That the Bible tells us that there are some nations that the Lord strategically ordained to be left in the land of Cana, not to torment his people, but to really just put his people to the test. That the Bible tells us in Judges chapter 3, verse number 1, that here are the list of nations who are left in Cana to prove God's people. That God wanted to leave just a remnant of what the children of Israel thought that they would no longer see just to see if the children of Israel would remain faithful to God in the midst of their blessing. Which it helps me, Brother Huffman, to stop giving so much credit to the devil. That every trap I fall in is not by the hand of the devil. That every situation I get into is not of the hand of the devil, but there are some things that God through his permissive will allows to happen in my life, not for anybody else, but really for me. Because God at, mo at sometimes wants to test us. Will you remain faithful in the midst of your blessings? Because it's easy to remain faithful when things are going well. And it's easy, somewhat easy to remain faithful in the midst of things going wrong. But God says, even in the midst of me following through on my promise that I told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 what I was going to do. And now since I've came through on my word, I want to see if you all are going to serve me the same way in the promised land. Not 
absent from distractions, but in the midst of distractions, because I want to test you as it relates to the blessing I've already given you. Oh, my brothers and sisters, that, that helps me. That helps me when trouble comes in my life. Because God realizes that it's, it's easy to slip into something uh, that you know you're not supposed to be doing. Y'all follow me today? <laughs> it's easy to slip into something that you're not supposed to be doing even in the midst of your blessing. And the Lord left several tribes, the uh, as listed here in Judges chapter 12, uh, verse number 3, he left the, the Philistines, Goliath's folks. He left the Canaanites. He left the Sodomites. He left the Hivites. And he left some other ites. Amen. <laughs> to see if his people would remain faithful. And if truth be told, many of us, including myself, failed the test even in the midst of God's blessing. Because it's, it's, it's human nature. It's human nature that when you have specific instructions to go against those instructions just to see what's going to happen. Case in point, when your mama takes you to the grocery store, she tells you not to put your hand on nothing, but you know you, it's, it's the curiosity factor, amen, that makes us go in and do exactly what mama said not do and be surprised when we get caught, right? And the children of Israel were the same way because sometimes the pressures of your enemy causes you to slip into a place in which God never ordained for you to be. The temptations around all of us sometimes have us, have many of us acting out of, of Christian character. And because the children of Israel acted out of Christian character, the Bible tells us in the book of Judges that God raised up the first judge. And in the midst of God raising up the first judge, the children of Israel did right for at least 11 verses. They did what they were supposed to do for at least 11 verses. But in the midst of God being good and God making a way even when God should have went on to another group of people, they test God's patience in verse number 12, just like you and I sometimes test God's patience. The Bible tells us that the children of Israel did evil, and it adds another word to it. Uh, Sister Johnson in verse number 12, he says, the children of Israel did evil again. That in the midst of them knowing the consequences of them doing evil the Lord, through his permissive will, allowed them to do evil again because you've got to realize now the people in the book of Judges are not the same people in the book of Exodus and Joshua. That the book of Judges 
It's the same, are the same children, the children of Israel, but it's a totally new generation. Y'all follow me? And this generation had yet to see the wrath of God. And sometimes when you don't know what struggle is, you sometimes test the limits. And so although these have been the children of Israel, this is a new generation, and the Lord caused them to be tempted, the Lord also placed in measure, placed measures, put measures in place that even when they fell into sin, I'm not going to leave them where I found them. And who wouldn't serve a God who knows that we are prone to sin, knows that we are prone to stray, but he has already put in a mechanism that when I mess up, I don't have to stay in the mess in which he found me. And God loves me so much that he refuses to allow me to stay in the same spiritual place as when he found me. But by any means necessary, he's going to show himself faithful. And every time God shows himself faithful, I ought to be just a little bit more obedient. <laughs> that every time God makes a way, I shouldn't be so contrary as I was before he made a way. But even in the midst of me being sinful, God still grants me his unmerited blessings and unmerited favor. The Bible teaches us with left-hand blessings that God will sometimes put us in situations just so he can see how we're going to respond. That he, will, he wants to see have we graduated to another level in trusting in him than when he first found us or the last time he had to come and make a way. But even in the midst of us doing stuff again, God always has a divine plan for our deliverance. The Bible tells us in Judges chapter 3, beginning with verse number 12, that in the midst of the children of Israel doing evil in the sight of God, the Lord raised up an evil king by the name of Eglon, who was the king of Moab. And if you go back to the book of Genesis and Exodus, you realize that the Moabites aren't just any old people. But the Moabites are the descendants of Lot. So, if Lot was Abraham's nephew, the Moabites are at least their first, second, or third cousin. Y'all follow me? You know, because we're the only folks who got multiple cousins. Everybody else just say, oh, that's my cousin. We say, no, that's my second cousin. Then you go over and say, because his mama was my mama's sister. You know. So it's one of those cousins. Amen. They, they, they kin folks. And the Lord allowed Moab, Israel's kin folks, to overtake them because of their sins. The children of Israel teaches us that sin and disobedience from God to God will always make you pay, will always make you pay more than what you saw it priced for. That you see it priced for momentary satisfaction. 
You see disobedience priced as, oh, I can do it because I can't do it. But sin will always make you pay more than what is priced for. God has to use his, have to use the children of Israel's first or second cousins, the Moabites, to bring them back into shape. And not only is there tension there, uh, Judge Bellamy, about these being Israel's kinfolks, but if you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, when the children of Israel were getting ready to make conquest, there was one group of people that the Lord told Israel not to touch. That you all can kill and take everybody else's stuff, but there's one group that you don't need to touch, and those were the Moabites. So it's one thing when, when, when disobedience causes you to pay more than what it was priced for. But it's another thing when God uses a situation or people in whom you looked out for to help bring you back in the right relationship with God. The Bible tells us that Eglon is the king of Moab. And not only was he the king of Moab, but because Moab within itself, in verse number 13, was not able to conquer uh, Israel. So Moab had to link up with the Amalekites and the Ammonites to take possession of the city of Jericho. And the children of Israel, in verse number 14, have to serve the Moabites for 14 years. 18 years, excuse me. That in the midst of them having to serve a foreign king who worshiped a foreign god, they came to the point of saying, we refuse to live like this and the Bible teaches us that after the children of Israel has suffered long enough, 18 years, the Lord allowed this to go on. For 18 years, the Lord allowed his children to have to be humiliated by their kinfolk. But the good news about the God I serve is that no matter how long, God will always, always come through. And in God coming through, he only keeps us in stuff long enough until he reaches the point of saying, they've got the picture now. Y'all follow me today? That no matter what God permits, permits to happen in your life, just as soon as there is a beginning date, God has already preordained the expiration date. And so instead of me trying to figure out what God is going to do, I need to make sure that I'm prepared for what God is getting ready to do next. So he lifts up in verse number 15. He lifts up 
Ehud, and I'm, 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 I promise you, I'm skating across the field here. He lifts up Ehud in verse number 15. And the writer of Judges gives us great description about Ehud. That he tells us that he is the son of Jerod. We don't even need to know that. But specifically, he's of the tribe of Benjamin. Y'all taking your notes? And when you study the tribe of J Benjamin, you realize that Benjamin is translated into meaning the right-handed son. Y'all following me? So it is presumed that everybody in the tribe of Benjamin was right-handed. We good? So in them being right-handed, each tribe, each warrior had its own shield or crest. So Ehud every day would carry around the crest stating that I am of the tribe of Benjamin. So guess what everybody thought? That he was right-handed. Y'all follow me? I promise you I'm going somewhere. Amen. That everybody presumed that he was right-handed. But if you study the tribe of Benjamin just a little bit further, you realize that everybody in the tribe of Benjamin was not only right-handed, but they were taught how to fight with their left hand. Because them being the tribe of the right hand, everybody would know that if we're going to attack them, we need to cut off their right hand. So Ehud in chapter 3, verse number 15, is selected to be the one to go and present the taxes for the children of Israel to King Eglon. And the Bible tells us that although Ehud was of the tribe of Benjamin, it also tells us that he was left-handed. So, just like anybody who is a subject that would go and see the king that was reigning over Israel, as an Israelite, you just couldn't walk up in the place. Y'all follow me? That just like many, many people have to do when you go to certain establishments, that before you can walk up in there, you've got to get a, a pat down. Because they need to know if you're going to see the king, are you packing? Right? Y'all follow me? And because Ehud is of the tribe of Benjamin, and they think that he is right-handed, if he was right-handed, he would carry his sword on his left side. Y'all follow me? But since he was left-handed, he carried his sword on his right side. So when he went to see the king, the only side that they checked was the left side. Not knowing that he was packing And that's how God sometimes has to do you and I. We think that God is going to bring the breakthrough through traditional means. 
And we're only looking at one side. We only look at the side where we think and how we think it ought to happen. But I serve a God who's like Ehud, that when I'm only looking on one side, he's got something on the other side. And so I moved to the place of saying, anyway you bless me, Lord, whether it's from your right hand or your left hand, I'll be satisfied. So, so Ehud gets past security. He gets past security and the only thing they have checked was his left side. He's a little joker and he has, his, he has the people's taxes in his hand. And he gets in front of King Eglon and, and bows down and, and worships King Eglon and says, King, here are the taxes for my people. The Bible tells us after Eglon is satisfied with the tax, the offering that is rendered by Ehud, he, he dismisses Ehud. And in the process of Ehud getting ready to leave the king's chamber, here comes verse number 20. Ehud says, King, I've, I've satisfied my financial obligation with you, but I've got a special message that's only for your ears. And the king realizing that Ehud has already gone through security check and security has yet to find anything on Ehud, the king says, well, guards, you all go on out of the room and let me and the boy have a conversation. Help me, Holy Ghost. And when the guards got out of the room, Ehud got close enough to Eglon that he went on to his right side with his left hand, pulled out his dagger, and stuck it in the king. Help me, Holy Ghost. And in the process of doing that, the Bible tells us that Ehud escaped through another route. And the guards started having a conversation. They say, well, shucks. You know that boy has been in there a little too long. It's, it's, it's in the Bible, verse number 24. They start having a conversation. says, that boy has been in there too long. Let's, let's look in here and see what's, what's going on. And in the midst of them looking in there, they saw that the bathroom door was locked. And they said, well, the king must be in there covering his feet. <laughs> and they closed the door back. And when they said, well, the king showed enough taking a mighty long time in there. We need to go and make sure that everything is all right. And when they went in, they saw that the king had been killed by this left-handed man. And this left-handed man went back to the town in Israel and told him, says, gentlemen, the king is dead and now we can take possession of what rightfully belongs to us. And I'm glad today that I have a God that even in the midst of my mess ups, 
he has more left-handed blessings with my name on it. That I'm looking forward to come one way and God has already prepared an Ehud of some type to come along with my blessing so that I would be able to have full joy of what God has ordained for me to have. And brothers and sisters, disobedience to God will put us in some Eglon situations. Disobedience to God will have sometimes our joy sapped from us. And life in general will sometimes have us against some situations that we don't know how it's going to work out. But in the midst of all of that happening, know that God has an Ehud, a left-handed blessing that doesn't have Adrian's name on it, but it has your name on it for whatever God destines for you to have. And that's the good news about the God in which we serve, is that no matter how Bad I am to God, God remains the same towards me. And even if he has to allow me to go through certain things to get a better understanding, that I always rest assured in those other words that my mother would say in the midst of disobedience, that the only reason why I'm doing it is because I love you. And God sometimes allows certain things to happen in our lives just so we can wake up. So the invitation is extended this day. That you think you have to get yourself together. You think that you have to get yourself right. As we've been taught and heard here at Bellwood, you will never get yourself right. In the midst of anything wrong that you do, you will never be able to get yourself right. But God says, come this day. Take hold of his hand. And he has left-handed blessings in store for you. So we sing, or the song has been singing, Great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, our Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. In the midst of me being disobedient, thou changes not. Thou compassions, they fail not. Will you come today? Time is filled with swift transition. Ah, none on earth unmoved can stand. Be up some things eternal. Will you come today? to hold to his hand I'm talking about oh you want to hold I'm talking about God son you want to be
prayers and answers prayer. We come now in the spirit of thanksgiving. One, thanking you for being a God who not only blesses us in ways in which we think, but God, sometimes you send blessings to us that just blow our mind. Stuff that we didn't see coming, God, you, you bestow upon us because you love us. So God, we say thank you for that remarkable gift of your grace through salvation, your son, Jesus Christ. We say thank you for our soul salvation. We say thank you for saving us even in the midst of us sometimes being our own worst enemy and sometimes blocking our own blessings. We say thank you. And God, we say thank you not only for that, but we say thank you for one who preordains our life. That even in the midst of us trying to plan our life, you have already preordained what shall occur in our life. And because you have preordained it, you already know what's going to happen, when, how, and where. And so, God, we say thank you. And so, God, now as we stand with our sister Chet, who is preparing, God, to follow your voice. And, God, she doesn't know what's up the road, but we ask, God, that you go before her as you have gone so many times before. That, God, whatever may be up the road, that you do what you need to do so by the time she gets there, she can give you the victory of what only you could do that she could not do in her power. So, God, we say thank you. We thank you for those who gather around the altar to intercede on somebody else's behalf. And, God, we pray now that as we intercede that we be found in good spirit, that our prayers of intercession will be good account for what somebody else may be going through. God, we thank you this day, and we count it victory. We count it all joy for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. And so, God, as Chet prepares to go into a new season of life, we ask now that you grant unto her your peace, your understanding, and your joy. And that when, we, when she reaches, God, she will have the testimony that it was nobody but you who did it. And so, God, we say thank you for left-handed blessings those things in which you do in our life and which we didn't even see coming and that you always bring us victorious. It's in the name of Jesus we do pray and we all said amen. 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 You ought to hold to his hand. I'm talking about God, son. Oh, you ought to hold children enter we want to make preparations to receive uh, the Lord's table the Lord's supper 
on this day. Amen.